Oscar, where's 1049 Park Avenue? This is 1049 Park Avenue! Can two divorced men share an apartment without driving each other crazy? Welcome to 1049 Park Avenue, an odd couple podcast. Ted Linhart, Garrett Eisler here to talk about the fourth episode from the final season, The Hollywood Story, which aired on October 3rd, 1975, and is available on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, before we get into it, Garrett, um, I stumbled across a CBS promo for a show that I have a feeling you've never heard of that's currently on CBS, a sitcom called the neighborhood are you familiar i have not heard of that actually no uh it's a, it's with cedric the entertainer um and it's about a uh, a white couple who moves into a um predominantly african-american neighborhood um anyway so uh it, it's not a show i watch either but it has been on quite a while and um i was watching something else on cbs and i found this promo that I thought you'd be interested in hearing. On Monday, an earthquake strikes the neighborhood. With nowhere else to go, Calvin and Tina Butler show up at the doorstep of their sons. Can one family share a bathroom without driving each other crazy? I need some privacy, people! A new neighborhood, Monday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I know the audio wasn't very good. Do you want to hear it again? Yeah. No, I, I heard it. Thank you. Wow. Um, so... You're saying that this is just for the purposes of this promo. As far as you know, this is not, they don't use that music in the show. No, so. no, no. I For this promo where I looked like the the, the couples had to live together after an earthquake, right. they decided right. that that similar was Similar like, situation. Yeah, I similar suppose. situation. So it's just um, interesting that, first of all, obviously they have the rights to do all this. I was just going to say, right, this is CBS, right? So Paramount, yeah. Paramount mostly, yeah. Yeah, uh, but still interesting that, you know, how resonant that they, that, they clearly can just use this without explaining it and assuming that the modern audience of CBS or only for a whole new generation. Yeah. Well, I mean, CBS's audience tends to be older, but still it's, you know, 50 years later from the start. And so even if these viewers are mm -hmm. 60 or 65, yeah. they yeah. were guests. So yes, for a modern generation. So uh, it just shows how iconic the odd couple is. I think that they could just it is use probably this. one of the most iconic sitcom theme songs yes of at least that era maybe and, not of all time but and the narration i mean they're using the narration yeah right they are that's big that's and i'm just noticing how more every episode that we watch like you know they stopped now i forget they stopped using the narration i think it's yeah. season three four i think, I think it's certainly I, hasn't been there since season three no i think i feel uh, like it's three um so i just thought uh, but just, just for those two two and a half seasons they use the narration, it's already iconic, yes. So it, I I found that interesting and obviously apropos for this podcast. And therefore, uh, anyone watching the neighborhood should be listening to this podcast. Great, that's a great uh, logical leap. Let's uh, buy okay. some com commercial advertising on their show. Um, do you want to talk about the writers of the Hollywood story? Oh, of this episode. Yes. yes. Um, so this is a writing team. This is their only odd couple credit. They are the team of Hal Goldman and Al Gordon. Yes. I believe That's I keep right. getting Hal and Al mixed up. 
halgae and algae. Um, and yes, they're only odd couple, but they were a team whose, uh, if you look them up, they're, they kind of worked for every major old comedian in mid-century. Like they, were, like they started working in the 60s and they wrote for Jack Benny a lot and Red Skelton and George Burns. And they did a lot of their variety shows. Um, and then a few, and a few other sitcoms like Get Smart. Uh, but it's kind of fitting that they are writing the Hollywood episode because they seem like a very Hollywood uh, team. So we open the episode with Murray sitting on the couch. He's writing something in his policeman's notepad. Oscar comes out with a suitcase and says, okay, Murray, I'm all packed. And he puts the suitcase on the coffee table, which I don't know if you noticed this because you're probably still watching this on your finger or something. <laughs> they make the screen smaller and smaller every day. Uh, that when he puts the suitcase on the coffee table, he knocks a magazine off, which feels like it wasn't supposed to happen. Hmm. But I, I but did it, not notice. But it works well for Oscar. Uh, and the suitcase is clearly very poorly packed. It has a shirt. The, the suitcase is closed, but there's a shirt sticking out of it. Yes, I did. And see Murray that. says, "You packed it yourself, huh?" And he points out that there's a sticker for Rome on the suitcase, and he asks Oscar when he got to Rome, and Oscar says he didn't. He went to Chicago. His bag went to Rome. That seems like a, a sticky mid-century writer's <laughs> yes. joke. Yes. Uh, Murray says, I hope you and your bag make it to Hollywood. It wouldn't look good for a movie star to be without clothes. Oscar says, what movie star? I'm only doing a cameo role, a few lines. They want authenticity. Sports writers to play themselves. Dan Jenkins, a famous sports writer, he's playing himself too, see? Now, I, for many years watching this, didn't realize there is a real Dan Jenkins. I don't know why. I, I mean, obviously, I never looked it up before because I didn't really have a real reason to. But he was a real big sports writer who wrote for Sports Illustrated and many other publications in the 60s and 70s. And then he wrote the book Semi-Tough, which ah. became uh, in 1972 – which became a 1977 movie with Burt Reynolds, Chris Christopherson, Jill Claver, Robert Preston, Lada Lenya, Bert <laughs> Con I know, Burt Convy, and Brian Dennehy. Uh, and then there was a TV pilot made of this show that didn't get picked up, but that starred David Hasselhoff. The David Hasselhoff. Yes. So if that pilot had gotten picked up and the show was successful, he would not have been Knight Rider or been oh, on Knight Rider. I see. Okay. That's where uh, you're going. Well, um, no, I wasn't going there, but that's just another. It's thought it's interesting that he was in the pilot. And then I just occurred to me now that if that show had gotten picked up. So see, so you said the book came out in 72. So that yes. that's I guess what made him really like it sounds like he's like America's favorite famous famous sports writer. That's this I I think that's correct. And I have a feeling the idea of having a movie about sports with sports writers was also kind of inspired by his book as well. Mm, I see. Um, so Are Field, we to presume that Oscar Madison is pretty much just as famous as Dan. No. Jenkins. Well, we know because of the way Felix says all the treatment Dan Jenkins gets in the later yes. in the episode that Oscar does not get. So it, right. it is made clear that Oscar is on a different lower tier than Dan Jenkins. But they are still flying. I mean, the whole premise of this episode means they think he is where his presence in the movie initially, at least, is worth flying him out. For this. Yes, they are saying he is a famous sports writer, but they are not saying he is as famous a sports writer as Dan right. Jenkins. 
Felix walks into the living room with a pile of handkerchiefs and coldly says, you forgot to pack handkerchiefs. Oscar says, no, I packed one. Felix looks at Murray and says, he's taking one hanky to Hollywood. Oscar says, I'm only taking one nose. <laughs> Felix hands him the pile and says, pack these. Oscar begrudgingly takes them and puts them in his coat pocket. Felix says, you see the way he packs? Look at that bag. Did you try to fold now, your clothes? Yes. I just have to have a beef here with Felix because a coat pocket is a perfectly normal place to put your well, hankies. Except he but, shoves like six of them in his, no, not see. in his breast pocket, but in his side pocket. But do you think this is just a relic of the time or is Felix being especially uh, uh, an old fuddy dud for thinking for like packing six handkerchiefs on a trip when you can just use Kleenex? Oh, was this the era where you still did not have a lot of like portable Kleenex around? So you really did carry a handkerchief. I think the handkerchief was less for blowing your nose and more for style. Oh. And I think you, uh, I think this is the era when you. For still... general mopping up or cleaning up, whatever you spilled, I guess. That too. This was the era when you still dressed up to go on an airplane. And I yeah. think we've still... <laughs> we talked about this. I mean, yeah, you were right. still expected to be, for, especially you're going to Hollywood, you have to impress people. And I think he expects if he was going, he would have a, a, you know, and we see what happens with the clothes he actually buys when he's in Hollywood. Right. He expects Oscar to dress the part, dress snazzy differently each day. So it's a little bit mixture of Felix's being Felix, but also the era. I think it's a both. Okay. Uh, then Oscar says, uh, yeah, when a Felix asks him if he tried to fold his clothes, then he says, hey, I forgot my ticket. Felix, and he goes back to his room. Felix says, better check your room, see if there's anything else you forgot before I have to board it up. Oscar says, when crazy, crazy Rhoda gets here, tell her I'll be right back. And Murray says to Felix, now that Oscar's left the room, he's going to Hollywood with crazy Rhoda Zimmerman. Felix says the studio sent him two tickets, so he's taking her as his private secretary. Now, clearly, there's a plot issue here because we found out that <laughs> right. Crazy Rhoda got married a season or two Back ago. In, yeah. Uh, when he was trying to get her to go with him to what was the show to kiss oh, right. my face? Right. So either she's gotten divorced, which seems possible. Yes. Um, or <laughs> they forgotten, which is the most likely, uh, they being, I mean, I don't expect Hal and Al, if this is the first time writers, my guess is they don't even know about crazy Rhoda. So somehow this is a, this is a device that Gary Marshall or, or, or Tony or Jack Klugman brought in and they just forgot that she was married. Um, but obviously it stands out to us that now she's back in the yeah. picture. Yeah. Well, let's look. I mean, yeah, we're season. She's lasted a long time. She, here she is in season five. Still, uh, still Oscar's go to. All right. So when Felix tells Murray that that he's going, she's going as his private secretary. Um, Murray reacts the way Murray reacts when he hears surprising news. And that classic starts, Al Molinaro. And that starts off our, our first clip from the show. You'll ever get to Hollywood, Felix? Hollywood. It's the last place I want to go. Land of sham, pretense, plastic people. Yes? I'm Rhoda Zimmerman's sister. And she ain't going no place, no time with nobody. 
She's at home, chained to the radiator. <laughs> you want to have some fun? Don't count on the Zimmermans. Oh. Uh, that crazy Rhoda, she always does something like this at the last minute on every trip. I guess you just stuck with an extra ticket, Oscar. Yeah, but I don't want to go alone. I wonder who I should take. Well, I'd go with you. I'm a policeman, and I can't shirk my duties. My place is here on the streets of New York. Protecting Who them. asked you? Think of a girl. Trouble is, all the girls I think of, you gotta give at least an hour's notice. I know that maybe I'll meet somebody nice on standby, okay? You go get the car. Okay, yeah. okay. So long, buddy. Goodbye, Oscar. Have a nice trip. I know you'll be wonderful. Oh, please take me with you. Please, please. My life is so boring here. I'm crazy about Hollywood. I'm dying to meet Rona Barrett. Oh, please, please, please take me with you. Why don't you say something before? I have my pride. <laughs> so did you recognize who plays Rhoda's sister? I mean, yeah, Rhoda's sister. She looked familiar. So that's Mickey Fox. I've seen her before. We've discussed twice. She was Judy Skelton in Oscar's birthday episode, where Oscar says, Judy, you off weight. And she was the fat lady blocking the aisle in the Flying Felix. That's that's more in character, it seems. Yeah, Judy Skelton, she was a nice person. Yeah, and I think they made her look particularly unattractive here on purpose. Yes. Uh, this is her Which third is very op- funny. Very funny appearance. Very yes, funny this is her third off couple, and she will have one more to go. And for those who don't remember the name, Rona Barrett, uh, who Felix wants to meet, was at the time the top one of the top gossip entertainment reporters um, of the era. She was basically taking over as Hedda Hopper and Lella Parsons were fading away. Uh, she retired in 1991, but she is still uh, with us. Hmm. So after the credits, we see Felix and Oscar walk out of fake 1049 Park Avenue to hail a cab. They have their luggage. Uh, did you notice what one of Oscar's luggage pieces was? No. It was just a brown bag. <laughs> it was a brown paper bag and it had a tie and a dress shirt sticking out of it. <laughs> then we see an airplane taking off and then landing at LAX. And they didn't showcase the airline name like sometimes they would do back in the 70s. Uh, but it clearly is a United Airline jet in the distance that you see land. Huh. Then we see the Hollywood sign. And then we see Grauman's Chinese Theater, which at this point had just become Man's Chinese Theater. So there was mm-hmm. a point between like 73 and 91, I think, when the Man Corporation bought over the Grauman's Chinese Theater. Um, but it's a famous Chinese theater. So um, there are multiple uh, similarities or maybe even nods to the set of episodes where um, – the Ricardos and the Mertzes went to Hollywood for Ricky to film his movie, Night of Lucy. There's at least four or five different things in this episode wow. that are very similar to that, which I do not believe are coincidence. First of all, there's three episodes of, or two episodes of I Love Lucy where devoted to Grauman's Chinese Theater. They go there, they do the same stuff that Felix does here, which we're about to discuss. Not that that's that unique, but still... They had a whole set of like putting my putting her foot in other people's foot. And then they steal John Wayne's footprints. They actually lift it out of Grauman's <laughs> Chinese Theater and, and try to take it home as a souvenir. Uh, 
so they start walking around Chinese theater uh, and the, the stars, the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And we hear Felix say Doris Day, pointing to Doris Day's uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame star. There's a cigarette butt on Doris Day and she doesn't even smoke. And then she says, look, Red Buttons and Marie Chevalier. Remember Gigi? And we do see Red Buttons and Marie Chevalier's stars. And then Oscar says, John Barrymore, your favorite John Barrymore. Now we're talking about his footsteps or his sorry, footprints in Grauman's Chinese theater. Hey, by the way, we should uh, make clear for anyone who doesn't remember or is not picturing it. These, these are all on location shots. Yes. These are not in the studio. Yes, thank you. I, 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 we're yes. doing an extended, this right now is we're in the middle of an extended location shot. Right. This is all real footage of them in the real places. Uh, so Felix puts his feet in the footsteps and says, look at that. My feet are the same size and hands. And he puts his hands in John Barrymore's mold and says, oh, there's his profile. Listen, take my picture with my face in it. Oscar is very embarrassed by this and says, people will think you are a New York wino. Will you get up? Now we see a close-up of Felix putting his face in John Barrymore's face and saying, is my face in there? Is my nose in his nose? Oscar says yes to both but he's very embarrassed. Felix says, is my hair in his hair? And Oscar says, yes. And Felix says, good, take it. Oscar takes the picture, but his hat in front of the lens at first. Felix points that out. Oscar now successfully takes the picture. Felix says, okay, now you get down here. I'll take your picture. Oscar says, I'm not going to put my face down there. Felix says, you're no fun on a trip. And it puts on his sunglasses. And I think this is one of the first times we see Felix doing something pretty gross that oscar refuses to do true it is for felix it's uh it is a sidewalk now i have a i have a family story about john barrymore that legend has passed down for my family when my grandparents got married they went to palm springs for their honeymoon and ran into a very drunk john barrymore who then uh kind of tagged along with them on their honeymoon and he they had to bring him back to his hotel uh, because he couldn't make it on his own. <laughs> wow. Well, that is definitely true to the character from what uh, people say about him. Yes, he was often in that condition. So the next scene, we see a sign that says Hollywood and Vine. And then we hear a woman say map to the stars, maps to the stars. And Felix and Oscar are walking on the street. Oscar has a newspaper in his hand. They stop and Felix buys two maps. I'm not sure why they buy two maps. Felix asks the woman who buys the maps, and she says burglars, which is funny. Which is funny. <laughs> yes. Oscar gives her a dirty look and pulls Felix away. Now they are in a car, which I guess they rented a car while they're there, which you kind of have to do. And that leads to uh, this clip and this first of two celebrities that are in the show. This is Toluca Lake, so he's got to be around here. Yes, look, it's got Helen 12 trees, Wallace Beard. How old is this man? No, no, you look for a street called... Oh, uh, yes, you never see would it. find it. Look, there he is. Where? There he is. Where? There's Bob Hope. Where? Right there. Hey, Excuse me. Mr. Hope! Mr. Hope! Hi! We just got here from New York. Relatives? No, we're tourists. Hope, hope we're not regular tourists. My name is Felix Unger. This is Oscar Madison. I couldn't find you on the map. Good, good. 
You take out your own garbage, Mr. Holmes? Well, I usually have it gift wrapped. Isn't that marvelous? You, you have a funny joke ready for every situation, haven't you? I have large garbage piles. <laughs> Could I have a piece of your garbage as a souvenir? Wouldn't you like the name for us first? No, just an oh, an orange peel. That would just be perfect. Thank you so very much. Well, Crosby, just squeeze those. <laughs> Would you mind autographing it? People will never believe. They'll never believe in a million years that I got this from you. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? It's just like ordinary people. Oh, thank you so very, very much. Sorry. Would, would, would you mind taking a picture with us? Not at all. I don't have my camera. Do you have a camera? <laughs> Next time. <laughs> I gotta get a dog. Garbage! But the garbage on a star! Wow! Okay, imagine, Bob Hope. Who's next? Me. I want to go back to the hotel where I can look at the pretty girls around the pool. All right, I'll go shopping. I like the music in that episode. Okay, there's a lot yeah. to discuss there. So first of all, Bob Hope was in an episode of I Love Lucy, season six, episode one. He, he is guesting as himself, although it's in New York. In Isle of Lucy, there's two separate incidents where Lucy gets a celebrity assigned and a peel of a citrus fruit. Really? Yes. There is, you are making an airtight case here. There's Robert Taylor signs an orange, which we do not see on camera. That's told off screen. And then uh, Richard Widmark signs a grapefruit for her. Mm, which, you have completely convinced me of the Isle of Lucy. Which is on camera. Homage um, here. So, at the, so I think the reason, so this appearance clearly came about because I think Tony Randall was very close to Bob Hope. And in a 2000 interview, he said about Bob Hope, he's the old master. I thought I held the record of most appearances on the Bob Hope show, but I think it's Brooke Shields. So I think he did a many Bob Hope specials. Hmm. Um, at the start of the scene, there's a very funny line that's very subtle. I never even noticed it before. He says, Helen 12 trees, Wallace Beery. How old is this map? <laughs> so Wallace Beery was a very big star of the 1930s. He died in 1949, making the point of how old is this map? His first big film was Min and Bill in 1930, which was a huge hit. It was the number seven gross of the year. Guess how much that means it made in 1930 at number seven i have no idea 1.2 million dollars which isn't is that a lot that is that uh, today that is absolutely nothing uh, back then i assume was a lot <laughs> i actually did not do the inflation math on that one helen 12 trees was basically his equivalent she was also a big star starting in 1930 with a movie called her man um and they both were very big stars for that decade and then basically right i think yeah Walsh helen 12 trees to me is the funny one i mean Wallace beery i have I've always known about he and I think his name has his name has lived on because yes. of some of the films he did Helen Twelvetree is someone who was very uh admired in her time but really just faded faster just that's you know her just wasn't as prominent after the 30s and is just an obscure <laughs> name that I've only recently come to know so it is funny it's a it's a great little joke uh, so when they meet Bob Hope, he's taking out his garbage of what I believe is his actual home. If you look at the footage. Yeah, you I, tell me why you believe this really is his well, home. I'm so they, surprised they show first of all, he did live in he did have a house in Toluca Lake on Moon Park, uh, Moore Park Street, which they show the name of the sign Moore Park Street as they're driving. And I if you the house was sold a few years ago and. Uh, and there's an article which has a lot of pictures of the 
house and also i google streeted the block and mm. walked around it on google image and i'm pretty sure that that area where he is walking out of to put his garbage is very similar to something i see in that actual area right. around right. that house now so it would it seems to me that if you're driving around toluca lake on moore park street you're not doing that and then filming him standing out of some other yeah. house <clears throat> i think that's really his house <laughs> well I guess it just surprises me because you'd think he wouldn't want to, you know, uh, he'd want some privacy. But the way you're talking about it, it seems like his it was well documented where he lived. It now well it is. Known. I don't know about the time. I, I have a feeling it was at the time. And I don't know that the average TV viewer in 1974 who had no way to record this was going to be able to stalk him. Right. <laughs> Plus, <laughs> and Oscar says, you know, you're not on the map. But I have a feeling... At the time, he Maybe probably he was, was on some maps, so it probably doesn't matter. Um, well, I guess, you know, the reason I I could buy it, I guess, is that, like, it certainly makes it easy for Bob Hope to do this cameo. It's like, hey, we're just going to come by your That's house. That's what, yeah, so front yard. just like Tony Randall got it easy to film <laughs> in, right in front <laughs> yeah. of his house, Bob Hope did in front right. of his. Also, right. there's an episode of I Love Lucy where they're on a tour bus, uh, a tour of Hollywood Holmes bus and they get off because mm. they see Richard Widmark's house and they get mm. off and that's and then Lucy climbs over a wall to get into Richard this is Widmark's your house. case is just getting stronger and stronger so there's I, I have a feeling these two writers are very influenced by those episodes um so that so it's a it's a funny scene and Bob Hope who actually find quite annoying on the Isle of Lucy episode is is good here yeah he, it, he he's, he's very good natured with them yeah, and his sarcasm, uh, but his sarcasm works. His, his sarcasm does come yeah, through, yeah. right? The way he deals with them is is very funny. And I and I, I said I like the music in the episode. Uh, so next scene. Uh, oh, I know the other thing I wanted to say about this. Um, I think this is the first time we've heard a laugh track on this show since mm -hmm. season one because this clearly had a laugh track. There was no right. Audience. Well, we're clearly on location again. Yes, and um, yeah, I mean, you know, in theory these like today like shows that do a lot of sitcoms that do a lot of location shots like seinfeld claim that they are showing the footage to the studio audience and that they are laughing um so i don't think that's happening presumably here. they could have done that with this but i tend to agree i think it does sound like laugh track. to their credit though i think uh the whole the the parts right before this on location at Grauman's Chinese, for instance, I don't think there was there no was not no no there was no they did not use no, a laugh track that, there that was better when they just let it be truly a location shot and but but it's Bob Hope so you got to have a laugh track I think I actually think there's something to that I think Bob Hope doesn't do stuff well I mean he didn't do movies without laugh tracks but yeah for some reason they put a laugh track in okay but yes so, this is very season one kind of feel except that it's funny <laughs> uh so the next scene we see a crane shot of a camera from a camera moving across a pool in the hotel they're staying at which is a very elaborate shot for this show i yeah. wondered if that if that is a stock it's footage stock, from somewhere yeah, else maybe. yeah we don't have any other glimpse of that on the, in the episode uh and there's people playing volleyball in the pool uh, we cut to the hotel room oscar's looking out the back over out of his balcony, which is nice. He has a balcony at the pool. Felix walks in in a very Hollywood outfit. It's black. <laughs> yeah. He's got an ascot on and he's wearing sunglasses. And that's where we're going to pick up uh, our next clip here. <laughs> Hello, 
So at the end, it's one of the multiple places where Tony Randall Felix breaks the fourth wall a bit because he kind of is looking directly at the camera. Although not exactly. Not so exactly. It's a, it's a weird take, right? Yes. It's like he's, he's, I don't know whether that's to make it more realistic that he's just kind of an aside to himself. He's, he's almost breaking the fourth wall. Almost breaking the fourth wall. He does break the fourth wall twice later. Well, I think there's a kind of too, but we'll, yes, we'll talk. Right, about it. right. But it's it's as close as we get in this episode. Yes, closer than yes. usual. Uh, it's no. not a it's not a better bring my big spoon. No, take that. <laughs> uh, Buster Crab was, of course, the gold medal winning Olympic swimmer in 1932, who ended up playing Tarzan, Flash Gordon, and Buck Rogers. He did have a son named Cullen, whose nickname was Cuffy. Wow. They didn't make uh, that up. <laughs> they did not make that up. He acted with his dad as a child on the TV show oh. Captain Gallant on the Foreign Legion, which was a. Well, there you go. See, the first, it just sounds, my first thought was like, this is insane that Felix would 
even know who this is. But of course, well, that is insane. Oh, because no, but he's <laughs> well, no. still insane. But at least it means he remembered this kid from the fifties. There's show. no way that. In 1974, a person knows a kid from 1955 and what he looks like out of context in a hotel lobby 20 years well, later. Well, one of the strange things about this episode for Felix is that he is such a, a, a gossip uh, maven and starstruck. Yeah, starstruck. You know who else is starstruck? Lucille Ricardo. Lucy Ricardo. Yep. Lucy Ricardo. The Ricardo. Lucille Ball played Lucy Ricardo. I said Lucille Ricardo. I meant to say Lucy Ricardo. Right. Um, yes, right. This is very Lucy behavior, but it's not necessarily bon vivant. No, Metropolitan opera, it's not. Like Sixth yes. Avenue Opera Company, yeah. uh, Alpresario, Felix Unger. So uh, it's another side to Felix, which I, I can I can go along with it. For this it's episode, funny. It works. It's a little. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a, a coffee. It's also nostalgia, Felix. Right. Because I think for him to know. Buster Crab's son, Cuffy, is big because it's so old. It is kind of like nostalgia TV for him. I don't know. As far as I can tell, Cuffy went on to become some sort of businessman in Arizona and may still be alive. I actually, if you Google mm. the name, you find that a Cullen Crab took out a small business loan like a year ago, <laughs> like a COVID-related sure business loan. Not it's sure he wants the, that. Uh, it's on. Know. It's like it's public information from the Small Business Administration. <laughs> um, Surprised that didn't make more news. So the next scene. Hey, by is, the way, I just yes. want to, for the record, note that uh, Oscar's impersonations at the end yeah. of how, when he starts drifting into uh, different movies, old movie star impersonations, how he's going to do his line reading, I believe in this order is Lionel Barrymore, then Bogart, and then Cagney. And by the way, I'm not 100% <laughs> sure of the Lionel Barrymore, but I'm. Yeah, the line about so, uh, so when there's a scene in Iowa Lucy where Ricky Ricardo is trying out his version of Don Juan, that's what he's supposed to play, and Lucy kind of gives him coaches, and uh, Ricky ends up doing a bogey. Aha, uh-huh, there you go. Well, he was the iconic movie star of mid century Hollywood. And another Iowa Lucy connection. So in Iowa Lucy, uh, Ricky, the, sh- the the movie he was going out to be filmed was shelved. Famously, it's an episode called Don Juan is Shelved. And Lucy's annoyed that they haven't found anything for him. So she goes to MGM posing as his agent. This is ex- this is like we're moment by moment the same. Wow. Uh, so we see Felix go to the Bronson Gate of Paramount, which is a very, like, probably the most iconic movie star gate. Yes. The movie studio gate, I, I mean. Why I but I don't think you see the name Paramount. You don't. You no. You don't. Right. You see. I Bronson's... did recognize it though. I said this must be Paramount, and yes. of course, of course, it would be because it's a Paramount show. But why would they obscure? Not give themselves a plug? Do they not want to be associated with uh, this bad movie that's being made? Maybe the take that worked best just didn't have it. But the Bronson, well, I, they do look kind of something. Mean, the, the studio head and the people involved in the movie itself seem a bit maybe not up to their standards usually. Well, there's two obvious. First of all, they use it says Bronson Gate, which everyone knows. I mean, not everyone, but it's it's well. I mean, it doesn't it, in the, in the industry, maybe. right? It's not hiding it. Plus, in the background, you can see a big poster for Chinatown. Which that's, had just yeah, yeah, you come mentioned up. that, and that's. That convinces me I really do need to watch this on a bigger screen. Yes. That just, that's really cool. That's really cool. That there's a Chinatown list. Came out this four months earlier. Yeah. yeah. So here's, though, a little weird. So he goes to the gate. There's a guard at the gate. Mm-hmm. Felix hands him some sort of business card. Yes, I wondered The guard about looks yeah. at it and goes, oh, come right in. 
What was on that card? Yeah, my impression is that to get into a Hollywood studio without being on the, you know, the the visitors tour, um, you have to go through a gate and you have to you have to have an appointment or something. Right. Some proof that you belong there. And so I could have no idea what he could be showing him that would wave him into a the 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 private offices of a major Hollywood studio. Now in I Love Lucy, Lucy calls the studio, does a fake voice, and says, I am but she makes up a name of the trans fan agency and uh, I'm here. I'm representing um, Ricky Ricardo. So she at least fakes an appointment. Uh, maybe Felix. So that's the only thing I think of is that Felix called ahead, said I'm Felix Unger, Oscar Madison's agent and somehow, but the guard didn't go look at a schedule. Like a guard right. didn't go look at some sort of list of appointments. He just lets him right. Right, walk right in. <laughs> so what does he show him? I can't imagine. Felix Unger portraits a specialty. Is that a way to get in? I guess so. Uh, next scene, we see two men. One is J.B. Hofstetter, who we've re- heard referencing is the head of the studio. And the other is the film's director, who's, oh, by the way, speaking, whose name we later find out to be Lennox, Mr. Lennox. By the way, uh, Rhoda Zimmerman's sister in the credits is listed as Hannah. Mickey Fox plays Hannah. So crazy Rodeman Zimmer's uh, Zimmerman's sister, who we do not hear the name in the show, mm-hmm. in the script is named Hannah. Mm-hmm. That's it. Just where are you going with this? Oh. Nowhere. <laughs> Just pointing out a little fact okay. that we left out. Okay. So JB is played by Alan Dexter, who did live TV and crime shows and B movies in the fifties. Then he did episodes of Perry Mason, The Untouchables, Gunsmoke, Dick Van Dyke, Fugitive, Get Smart, Andy Griffith, I Spy, Bonanza, and Cannon. And of course, I assume you recognize the director, yes. Lennox, who was Alan Arbus, who was, uh, this is his second episode after playing the hypnotist and cleanliness is next to impossible. Great so he, Alan Arbus, yes. Yes. Uh, so we hear JB ask Lennox, got any more changes? And he says, yeah, the locker room scene was kind of choppy. So I padded the part of the New York sports writer. I gave him another two pages. And JB says, that means an extra day shooting. We'll have to give Madison more money. Yeah, what do you think we should give him? And at the moment, JB inter, JB's intercom phone buzzes, and he answers it and says, yeah, who? Felix Unger. I don't know any Felix Unger. What does he do? Oh, Oscar Madison's agent. We'll settle this matter right now. Send him in, Pam. And then we hear Lennox say, Madison's got an agent? JB says, it's not funny. Lennox says, I know he's going to want $1,000 more. JB says, I'll try to get him for $500. Then JB proceeds to drink some milk, which seems like a reference to maybe somebody in real life. Um, but I couldn't find out like a famous studio chief who drinks milk. And anyway, yes. He seems to be drinking milk and taking multiple pills. Yes, which uh so it's like again with Oscar, it's like at this, at this, in this moment in time. If you, milk is good for an ulcer, like there's something you, the doctors were telling you, oh, yeah, drink oh. more milk if you have it. Like he's like stressed out. He's like taking a lot of pill medicine. And, and I, I associated the milk with like Oscar drinking the milk for his ulcer. Oh, okay. That makes more sense to me. Uh, by the way, the real head of Paramount at this time was Frank Yablins, um, who also wrote and produced the film Mommy Dearest. Um, hmm. So I don't know if there's any connection to him he he always said i think again i think they didn't want the name paramount in the shop because they didn't want to imply that this really is a film by paramount studios 
I see. Okay. That's that fair. this man is actually the head of Paramount Studios. They're just sort of, you know, disabusing us of that notion. So as Lennox walks out, Felix walks into JB's office and we get this scene. JB. JB. My client is not happy. Now, person to person, man to man, agent to mogul, captain. Don't tell me that after what I said to you, you had the nerve, the audacity to go down to that studio and embarrass me. Don't tell me that you went down and what did you do? You got me two extra pages of dialogue? Not only that, I conned them into giving you more money. I got another $50 out of it. I love that scene. I wish the scene with JB was a little longer, even though um, yeah. he it comes, it, he goes back now in that we hear that little musical. Yeah. Which is Felix is spinning his glasses as he's talking to JB and then his glasses just fly out of his hands. Um, and then Oscar's sun suit, as he calls it, mm-hmm. it's a, he's wearing his baseball hat backwards. He's got green plaid shorts, a short sleeve button down shirt, black dress shoes and black socks pulled up to his calves. And he's wearing a sun reflector around his neck so that the sun reflects off of it into his face. And did you notice the mysteriously large applause he gets when he yes. <laughs> appears when, it, when the audience sees Yes. I, yeah. For, I, I assumed it was for his sun reflection. It was for so. Now I actually thought that applause was larger. Like they start and then it kind of dies down quicker. Yeah. So I was expecting or remembering a bigger applause than that. But he does. The fact he gets some applause for <laughs> it is interesting. I guess that it's like they're seeing it as such a stereotypically LA thing to do for a New Yorker to do. But he also looks so out of place. Right. He's, he's, his whole outfit is hilarious. There, and Fred Mertz, that was his running gag in the Hollywood oh. episodes. He was always wear something that he thought was very Hollywood, but people would just stare at him because it looks ridiculous. Mm, so see. we have a new scene. We see a bus driving on a road and then out, then the outside of a stadium. And then we see the inside of a locker room where the scene that Oscars is going to be shot. We see a camera on a rolling platform pushed by uh who? Eddie Garrett. Oh, right. We see other crew members. We see a lighting guy. Oscar walks in and says, It's a nice stadium for a little place, huh? Felix says, It's a stadium. Oscar says, Boy, I'm still stiff. You know that? Felix angrily says, Of course you're stiff. 80 miles down here on a hot bus. Pahrump, Nevada, lizard capital of the world. Downtown is a fruit stand. Oscar says, Felix, this is the location they wanted. They're going to shoot here. Let's not gripe, huh? Felix says, when Dan Jenkins went on his location, the studio sent him in an air-conditioned limousine. Oscar says, they did. Felix says, you're darn right they did. Oscar says, are you sure? Felix says, of course I'm sure. It's just plain unfair. 
How you does Felix know about Jenkins this stuff? First of all, how does he know, right? Yeah. And <laughs> he knows who the hotel room he stayed in. He knows the thing. I guess he's just going around asking everyone. And apparently all of Hollywood knows what how Dan Jenkins got treated. Um, but to be fair to uh, Oscar, you know, Dan Jenkins wrote semi-tough. That's right. Oscar Madison only wrote knockout, yeah, which, right. which we never we've never heard of anything again. So um Felix says, oh, cut it out. Look, all right, Felix, you got me some extra money. You got me a few extra lines. Let's not press our luck. I'm happy with what? And then as soon as, before he can finish his sentence, Felix says, I just don't like seeing them push you. Then Lennox, the director, comes in and says, okay, everyone, we shoot this sequence tomorrow. Let's get the rehearsal going. Have you got the sports writer thing? And the script girl says, here you are, Mr. Lennox. Now, I have a feeling you did not recognize the script girl because neither did I, but she's Alice James, who is also Mildred Unger, wife of Floyd Unger. Mm. Okay, so now all I'm, I, it's hard to remember her because I think we talked about how like tiny a part that was even yes. at the time. Like she right. just comes on to say it's bedtime. And yeah. So she only, she specializes in like very small roles. She's kind of like a pretty girl. So I guess that's, that's I have a thing. feeling she's connected somehow. To <laughs> right. Staff. Oh, you notice she had like no credits beyond very few yeah. credits beyond yes. the Yeah. Lennox says, oh, yeah, Madison, and he shouts Oscar's name. Oscar moves forward to respond, but Felix stops him and says, uh, right here. Lennox says, are you Madison? And Felix says, no, I'm Felix Unger. I'm Oscar Madison's agent. Now, what's now, funny Le- is that Lennox just, they in that scene at the studio, they, they didn't have a dialogue, but Lennox, Felix comes in as Lennox is leaving. Yes. Now, I will give them a pass on this. I could see that a, let's assume this guy is a decently- productive successful director that a director who passes by one nondescript right, right. person in a hallway you know yes. yeah would Fair not enough. remember it. uh felix now allows oscar to talk and he shakes oscar shakes lennox's hand and says i'm oscar madison how are you lennox says you look like a sports writer griff i want you to meet our star now out comes a tall man in a right sport coat now he gets a really large he round gets of a applause. Big large applause, and I had no understanding why because I did not know who he was. Right, and I for many years would hear that applause, and I guess when I was hearing it, it was like the '80s, so there was no internet. And but although I have watched <laughs> this show in the modern era, and I can't remember if I ever looked it up. So anyway, he's played by a real movie actor. I'm not sure if a movie star is the right term. I debated calling him a movie actor, movie star, George Montgomery. George Montgomery went to Hollywood in the 1930s. He started acting. I had never heard, I, never heard that name. reading your notes. I'd not, I know a lot of obscure movie stars. I did not recognize them. And the problem is there's a Robert Montgomery who's very well known. Of course. Known, right. And there's Montgomery Clift. Oh. So I feel, and George is like the name of many people. So I feel like there's a lot of names he sounds like that you could mistake. Of it's almost course. like he's an AI generated uh, so he went to Hollywood in the 30s. He started acting in B-Westerns a few years later. His big break was playing Philip Marlowe in one of the many adaptations of a Raymond Chandler novel or character. This was 1947, but it was not successful. So he went back to Westerns and other B-movies. He was probably more famous for his tabloid exploits. Exploits. He dated Ginger Rogers. He dated Hedy Lamarr. And he married Dinah Shore from 1943 oh, to 1943. Well, she is a big star. Then he had a very... I guess, well-covered scandal where his housekeeper, Ruth Wenzel, fell in love with him and decided that no one else should love him or live with him. And in 1963, broke into his home and tried to kill him. (laughs) 
I don't know why you think that's funny. And then <laughs> now that's that would be a great comedy show. So he spotted her. He came in apparently with a stewardess. And I think this was right after his divorce. He spotted her in the room. He told the stewardess to leave. He went to the bedroom, was able to grapple with her. The gun went off, grazed him, but he was able to hold her. And she was arrested. She had a note that said, I am planning to kill George Montgomery and then myself. No one loves him like I do. I don't want him to go out with those stupid looking glamour girls. (laughs) And she didn't want him, quote, fooling around with celebrity girls and mining his reputation. But apparently she was convicted only of misdemeanor assault because I think technically that's what ended up happening because he stopped it. Yeah. Mm. And there's a National Enquirer from 1963 that has this whole story on the cover. So I have a feeling he was well known from his kind of exploits out in Hollywood. Which 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 they incorporate into the Yes, that's right. They do. So he's good natured about it. And, you know, he was in enough movies, none of them successful, that I think, like, you know, maybe he was kind of like the Dolph, I'm going to say Dolph Lundgren, maybe, or (laughs) John Claude Van Damme, something like that. No, that's those those guys are just hunks of meat, you know, who are. But they're famous, but everyone recognizes them. No, 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 no. I think of him more as a. Well, look, the main point is what he comes across as in the in the episode is that uh, he's like a uh, central casting Hollywood star. Yeah, but who handsome man? But who Uh, are you saying? I'm trying to think of a modern day equivalent of him. Who would be a generic, handsome who everybody knows, though, who's not a great actor, but everybody. Yeah, but it has to be the career level of success because he you can't pick somebody who hasn't had big hits like Vin Diesel. You may say falls into that, but he's you a, keep falling using these like action heroes because I that's what he was. Is, he oh, did. I guess so. Okay. He did westerns yeah, okay. and crime stuff. He was an action yeah. hero. But, so I, I think he's. I like the Dolph Lundgren and and Jean Claude Van Damme okay. because they specialize in a certain thing. They never mm-hmm. really had, you know, the career was kind of cult-ish, if you will. And yeah. I don't know. It, it's not the. I'm sure there's a better equivalent than those two, but that's what's came to my mind. And, I you see know, your point. Yes. You know, I think he was also kind of like also a bit like a tab hunter where he was famous for being like just a good looking guy in the movies. Right. And not necessarily for something specific, kind of. Right. I don't know. All right. So Lennox says Griff Lockwood, which is also like (laughs) a very AI name. This is Oscar Madison. He's the one who does the interview. Oscar says, very nice to meet you. And Griff says, oh, nice to meet you, Oscar. I'm a big fan of yours. As everyone, of course, who meets Oscar Madison says. And then Felix <laughs> uh, is very excited to meet uh, Griff. And that's Griff. where we get this scene. And I'm a big fan of yours, Griff Lockwood. Oh, boy. I saw you in Hotel Rump. That's the one he made with Rhonda Bisque. Tell me, when you were shooting that, was there something between you and Rhonda? Huh? <laughs> Are you in the picture? No. Good. Paul, when you're ready. Fred, you're a married man. It's bad enough. You read every gossip column in the world. Do you have to believe them? Where there's smoke, there's fire. So suppose you had a little thing going with Rhonda. Will you forget it? Sure, we can forget it. But can his wife, lovely Helen Lockwood, driven to drink by the uncaring extramarital antics of Hollywood's most famous star? Will you cut it out? That was Rhonda's biggest scoop. Okay, let's go over the lines. Get Griff standing. Get Griff standing. No, yeah. uh, excuse me, just a moment, Oscar. Talk to you, man. Look, if you're going to use Griff standing, don't you think you ought to use Oscar? 
He doesn't have a stand-in. Oh, it doesn't have a stand-in. What time does Mr. Madison have to be at work tomorrow? Six o'clock. In the morning? I don't like that. No, no, I don't like that. Look, I'm perfectly willing to work these things out reasonably with you people. But don't push Oscar Madison, the man's a lunatic. One word and he goes like that. He's a walking volcano. The man slapped Fellini. What can I tell you? He slapped Fellini. Well, Mr. Anga, I think I understand. I knew I could talk to you. Just let me make one telephone call to take care of the whole thing. While you're at it, it might be a good idea to get him a trailer. I think he'd like that. A trailer? Yeah. Something nice and classy. Something also nice and classy. Also, a golf cart. Take him to and fro. I think that would be the right thing. A golf cart, yeah. Susan, get me that sports writer from Chicago. I'm firing Madison. You tell him. Phoenix, look, this is what they want me to wear. How's it look? Tell me what you think. What's the matter? Phoenix, tell me what's the matter. What is it? Why am I fired? Oscar, you don't know this town. Perum? Hollywood, the whole business. I asked for a stand-in for you. I asked for a dressing room. I suggested you don't have to get up so early in the morning. I didn't care about those things. Now you tell me. <laughs> I hope you get bitten by a lizard. I just want to point out that Alice James, uh, the script girl, did not dial enough numbers. Oh. Um, so well, Anna, it's it's the small town of Nevada. Who knows? Yeah, but isn't he calling L.A.? <laughs> yes, presumably. Uh, I also want to say that Alan Arbus is just so great. His deadpan, uh, yes, uh, is so hilarious in this episode. So on I Love Lucy, Lucy's meddling in Ricky's career got her uh, got him fired because um, he wanted. She's she had a whole scheme. I won't go into it, but the same thing happened on I Love mm. Lucy. Mm. Uh, so we're back at the hotel. Um, Oscar's packing, clearly frustrated and angry, and Felix is laughing. He says, oh, the joke's really on the stu- on that studio, isn't it? They bring us all the way out here to California, all expenses paid, and they don't use us in the picture. Now, Oscar's punching his clothes that he's packing. <laughs> look, there'll be other opportunities. Why should we have regrets? Look at that swell, look at the swell new clothes I got. I saw Doris Day's dog. What would you be doing in New York right now? Unchaining crazy Rhoda Zimmerman? <laughs> which is a reference to the fact that the sister said she's chained to the radiator. radiator. (laughs) Look, I sense that you are a little down about this. Oscar gives him a look of surprise as if, of course, I'm uh, upset. Felix continues, I can understand that. You're the kind of fellow who is easily depressed, but don't let things bother you. Bounce back, shrug them off. I do. Come on, let's see a smile, a grin, a smirk. And then Felix says, okay, in a way that I just wanted to play because he does it so <laughs> interesting. I just love the way he says this. Okay. Uh, and then he says, desperate times call for desperate measures. It's that time I go to the studio and force their hand. When I get through with them, you're not only going to have to, ha- you're not only going to have your part back, but you're going to have another raise. Fair enough? Shake. He puts out his hand, but Oscar just stares at him. So Felix clenches his hand around air and shakes air and says, you got a deal. We hear Felix leave. Then Oscar walks over to Felix's open suitcase, which has his clothes in it, brings all the clothes to the balcony and tosses them out the window. 
which the audience just loves. Loves, yeah. One of those really cruel things that Oscar does yes. to Felix, uh, which sometimes strains credibility. I just have to say for, you know, really uh, tough job for Klugman here. Uh, this is not easy to be as deadpan, again, deadpan, uh, and in the face of Tony Randall, who's being so animated and in his face and trying to shake his hand and trying to give him a smile. And he does never breaks out of it. He's just like so surly and silent the whole scene. I wonder and how many takes great. they had to do. Yeah, right. Because we know that he, he was capable of breaking up. Yeah. So we're back on the Paramount lot. JB is on the phone saying, what am I going to do? The sports writer for Chicago was so glad he got the part he dropped dead. By the way, I don't think a studio head has ever been more involved in a bit part in a movie. That's, yep, exactly. <laughs> I, it's something, it's kind of lazy to, I'm, he shouldn't be the studio head. He's a producer of the movie, yes. Right. But it's uh, just not credible that he's the actual studio head involved at this level, right? So much like when you laughed when I told you the story of George Montgomery's maid trying to kill him, the audience laughed very hard when he says that the <laughs> Chicago sports writer dropped dead. He says, I got to have Madison back. I got no choice. So he switches the phone line and he says, Pam, send him Unger. Send in Unger. So now he again empties, he empties prescription pills onto his desk and he pops one into his mouth while drinking the milk. So yes, the studio executive is very stressed. Uh, and now we get Felix's second visit to JB. Now listen to me, JB, and listen good. Okay, Madison's back in the picture. <laughs> Mind if I give you some constructive criticism, JB? <laughs> You need more backbone. You're a you're pretty much of a marshmallow, fellow. <laughs> Let me roll all over you then. I can tell you now, I was ready to squirm five more minutes and you'd have had me on my knees. You've got to toughen up, guy, or people will walk all over you. Will you get out of here? It's good. It's good. You know, what I just noticed in that scene just now listening to it is the typing in the background. Yeah, right. Which I think yeah, is. I guess that's, that's the secretary. Right. The, the um, door is still open. Yeah. Very this realistic act, sound effects. Yeah. This actor reminds me a lot of J.D. Cannon. Do you know who J.D. Cannon is? No. Uh, he was the boss on McLeod. Never he was McLeod's it. boss. So there's, uh, there's a lot of similarities with him. Anyway, again, I wish there was more of Felix and JB. Yeah. I just think it's great. Felix playing Joe Hollywood is yes. just uh, hilarious. Another great Tony Randall uh, bit. And uh, that last, this thing though, isn't it so reminiscent of the bit he did with uh, Kurt Con Judge Kurt Conway? Yeah. When telling him he should speak up, you know, right. and then he says, get out of here. He says, good. Yeah, right. That's right. I thought it's it sounded scene. familiar, but I couldn't think of where. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so we see the outside of the stadium again. Felix talks to Oscar and shakes his hand. Okay, here we go, fella. Show them how it's done. Lennox says, places everybody. Felix says, break a leg. Oscar says, I will. So Griff comes into the room and Felix wishes him good luck in the scene. He turns to Oscar and refers to Griff as a homewrecker. So he, he and the one <laughs> Under he's, his breath. he's completely two-faced, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Felix sits in the director's chair, also stealing a gag from the 
Oscar's sitting in Felix's director chair during the right. commercial. And Lennox says, you mind if I have my chair? Oscar says, listen, Griff, if I do anything wrong, please let me know, okay? Because this is all new to me. Griff says, Oscar, you're going to be sensational. Lennox says, we're ready for the mayor, your honor. The script girl who doesn't know anything about this says the mayor. And Len Lennox says, yeah, the mayor Perump. He wouldn't give us a shooting permit, so I let him join the crew. Your honor, roll camera. So out comes our new friend, Leonard Barr, who was uh, Arnold. Dean Martin's uncle. Dean Martin's uncle, who was Arnold, the belief healer, in To Bowl or Not To Bowl, and we'll see him again later in the season. He's a very goofy smile, and he gets a round of applause from the audience, who also recognizes him. He's holding a film slate marker, and Lennox says, mark it, and the mayor slams the marker together and walks out, again, to more applause. I think, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but one thing I did notice on my small screen is that, you know, uh, uh, what's what's our friend's name again? Leonard Barr. Leonard Barr, right. He is a, a very fragile looking skinny old man. <laughs> he looks like he's 100 years old. And uh, so when he claps together the 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 marker it kind of like he, he kind of reacts to it like it's the, the noise surprises him or it's too loud or something so i think that's part of what's provoking that well reaction. okay i didn't even notice that that brings up another connection i have lucy because when desi <gasps> when ricky is training or, or doing his screen test there is a guy there slamming a marker very loudly which scares lucy who is also ah. helping for the screen test by go. the way leonard barr gets no really no applause just a few weeks earlier in to bow or not to bow and here he gets a tremendous amount of applause well i have some insight into that okay because in fact bowl or not to bowl was not filmed a few weeks earlier oh. it was filmed at the end of season four so perhaps something happened over the summer of 1974 to make him more famous i don't know oh i wonder well no because diamonds forever was a few years earlier maybe this maybe was dean this... martin still on dean martin show still on yeah yeah but that, that was both years the only guess is this audience recognized him more or were told they could i wonder if the first group <clears throat> or not the second group i guess you're saying if the to bowl or not to bowl people were maybe told not to applause or in the context where he's just an he's playing a character and here this guy is, comes out and you kind of feel like he's begging for applause i wonder if it's somehow the dynamic of the studio um so the director calls for action and the scene begins so griff is playing a baseball player who's getting dressed and Oscar's interviewing him. And so we'll play that scene now. Tell us about your career, Slugger. Now, Oscar, what? don't rush your line. Take your time. Start from the beginning. We're still rolling. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. <laughs> Tell us about your career, Felix. See, it's your fault. From the beginning. Just start. Tell us about your career, Slugger. Well, it all started when I... Ah, oh, oh, stuff. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on his toe. I stepped on it. I'm sorry. He tripped you? All right, Oscar. It's an old trick. Arthur Preacher did that to Shirley Temple. <laughs> Gentlemen, if we can, from the top, we're still rolling. Still rolling. Tell us about your career, Slugger. Well, it all started when I tried out for the minor league team. The Fort Worth Blues. How old were you then? I was 17. And how old are you now? 22. I was very green then, but I finally made the team. Uh -huh. I made the team, yeah. yeah. It must have been quite a struggle. Oh, it was. It was a real struggle. Hand me my shirt, will you please, Oscar? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Cut! Three minutes! Why, 
you Are you crazy? I blew it. I was terrible. Rafe, you were marvelous. You saved that scene. The scene needed a laugh. You added three big screamos. You go rest, baby. You loosen up and rest. I have to talk to the biggies. What are we going to do? J.B., this is impossible. No, 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 no. He'll get the hang of it. Can't you get somebody else? Oh. No, don't do that. I don't want to postpone the scene. We're all set up here. Yes. You replace him, it has to be here and now. No, no, don't. Please, I beg of you. He'll get good. We've got an hour to get another actor up here from L.A. But, gee, I wish we had somebody here who could step in who knew the lines. I do. <laughs> what? I know all the lines. You can try it. Thanks. Try it. Oscar! Oscar! Yeah, yeah. Baby, you're out of the flick. They're going for a younger man. I fought like a banshee for you, but they wouldn't listen to me. Who'd they get to replace me? Give me your hat and your pad and wish me luck. So a couple of noise uh, things to discuss there. Um, We hear the tear of when we, when we hear a snort about him being 22 or or, or, um, I don't know what you call that noise. It's Felix snorting because he can't believe yes. that this guy yes. is playing a 22-year-old. Yes, and let's just clarify that because now yes. that you've revealed uh, who the actor is, Mr. Um, Montgomery. Yeah. Um, I looked him up. You know when he was, how old he is? In, is he 50? This episode? He's older than Klugman and Randall. He's, how old is he? He's born in 1916. 19, yeah, 1916. So, so he's 50, he is like 58. Eight yeah. years old. Now, to his credit, uh, let's say he doesn't look it. Uh, he certainly doesn't look twenty-two, though. But, but the fact that he's playing a twenty-two-year-old is even Felix is right. It's it's hilarious. Right, which is also a little bit, maybe not like Oscar Jack Klugman playing a forty-year-old Oscar Madison. <laughs> it's even more preposterous. Yeah, uh, I was watching a. All right, I was watching an old TV show, and the, the the actor Harry Gardino. You know him. Yes. So he was playing an over the hill cop, and the actor says to him, You're 50. You're too old. And Harry Gardino was 60 at the time and looked every bit of it. And I <laughs> could not understand why they left the word 50 in that script when the guy says, I'm 50. <laughs> I look 40 years younger than Harry Gardino yes, did at the time. You do. I will. I will. And I, I just, I, I was, I sometimes these little things are, are just, they stick out. They take you out of it too. <laughs> so we hear the, the very fake ripping of the Jersey. Unfortunately, yeah. that, that uh, sound effect is a little poor. Uh, and then that big noise of the, our lockers falling over because Oscar punches the locker when he realizes he screwed up the scene by ripping the shirt. And so he punches one locker, which knocks down eight lockers, which then knock into George Montgomery. Which knocks him down, right? Yeah. Yes, it's it's uh, a pure cascade of uh, physical comedy. Um, so it's it's funny. So now, uh, after Felix is given the role, the mayor, right. which comes- is also we have to comment on this that Felix, this is a great Felix Unger moment where he, the whole episode has been his lobbying for Oscar and his like ceaseless uh, efforts to advance oscar's interests and do everything best for oscar the minute they say we need someone else because i'll do it isn't there <laughs> some other is there some the other episode where felix takes something that yeah, you know at the last is, right yeah i can't remember what it was i can't remember but you yes i know you i know you're you're thinking of something that i'm thinking of but we both can't remember 
so the the mayor comes out again, marks the scene, and the director calls action. Uh, I think this is my favorite scene in the episode, the one we're about to play, although it's tough because there's a lot of good ones in this episode. Action. Tell me about your career, Slugger. Well, it all started when I tried out for this team, the minor league team, Fort Worth Blues. Fort Worth. Yes. That's in Texas. Hot right. wind, blazing sun. How old were you then? Uh, I was 17. A boy in a man's game. Oh, uh, how old are you now? Oh, 22. <laughs> it was a tough I, 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 I was green, but I finally made it. It was, yes. it was a struggle, yes. You grew up in a grimy little cabin in the middle of the Texas panhandle. No heat, no food. For breakfast, you had to suck on a piece of cactus. <laughs> You never had a toy to play with. You never had a pair of brown and white shoes. You never even took violin lessons. But you knew that you wanted to play baseball. You couldn't afford any equipment. So you made a catcher's mitt out of a satin pillow reading greetings from Yellowstone Park. You couldn't afford a bat, so you used your little brother. Kids wouldn't play with that brave little lad with the weird mitt and the talking bat. <laughs> Twenty-two. <laughs> Cut. Andre, you're out. No. <laughs> Phoenix, that was the worst acting I've ever seen in my entire life, and I appreciate it. But it worked. I told you Unger had a plan. I killed the hour. Now they've got to use you. You know, I can't figure you out. One minute you're driving me up the wall, the next minute you do a crazy, beautiful thing like this. You're a worse pip than Crazy Rhoda. Well, don't spread it around that I'm a nice guy. It'll kill me in the business. You start. Here you go, baby. It's all yours. Take over. Madison? Yeah. Out of the way, please. Hi. Who's going to play the reporter? None of your business. So that's such a funny scene. That whole monologue Felix does, it seems so good that it almost feels like it's taken, like it feels like it's a, an allusion to some other monologue from some other piece of pop culture, but I don't think so. I think it was written well, for this. Well, it's kind of right? an amalgam. It's, I think it's, like, it's great uh, parody of um, like out of an, it's old movie parody, old, uh, uh, kind of old journalism, kind of like purple prose journalism. I, this really feels like it's got Tony Randall's fingerprints on it, you know, like not an ad lib so much, as, but something that he developed with whatever writers ended up doing this. It's pure parody of old Hollywood and old old time journalism. Uh, and it, taking what is already hinted at in the screenplay that he's this like uh, country bumpkin who becomes a big baseball star and just playing it up like, you know, his impoverished childhood and all that. And and Tony Randall just, you know, eats these things up, you know, and um, and I, I feel like part of it, that's part of his own creativity as well. So I love it. Yeah. Um, here he does stare into the camera twice, which does have a purpose. 
but still they chose to show that for those mm-hmm. moments and it is i'm going to consider it a version of breaking the fourth wall i don't think any yeah, other sitcom sure. well, it, it effectively does because he's looking at the tv on he's looking at us through the tv sh- uh, through the tv screen but in the context of the scene he is playing to a camera a movie camera which i agree is not positioned we don't see where it seems like a, that's not the camera he's talking to but it kind of works. It, uh, oh, it, uh, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I think, it's I think great. Felix is breaking the fourth wall in the scene. He's Felix is turning direct to camera yes. as another way to ham up the scene. And I think the showrunners here, Gary Marshall is breaking, yes. in his mind, he's breaking the fourth wall. I don't yes. really know other sitcoms I can think of that I watch. Even when they're pretending to film something like I Love Lucy, I don't feel like they would stare at the audience that I can think of. That feels very unique to me. Um, hmm. but I'm not saying, and I'm not, this is not a criticism. I mean, sir, well, in the observation, time, it's, that's it, become more common. Yes, I meant up to this era, up to this yes, era. I um, agree, yeah. uh, it worked, it's great. I mean, it enhances the scene, the fact that he does that. Yeah. Um, and at the end, the, the person we hear saying, tell us about your career, Sonny, <laughs> is, is Leonard Barr. <laughs> great payoff for his... Uh appearance yeah so now the tag is back in the living room oscar's making a sandwich and he has it on a plate and on the plate in addition to the sandwich is a very large helping of uh, ketchup just on the plate felix comes out and says oscar hey i just had a nap and i had that dream again i dreamed a movie came out and you were such a smash in it that you put your hands in groundman's chinese oscar says felix i never got in the picture remember Felix says, I know, I know, but I won't rest until I see your handprints. Oscar dips his hands in the ketchup, puts his hand on the kitchen door, leaving his handprint of ketchup and says, rest. And that's the end. And that's the tag. Yep. Yes. An amusing tag. Um, I really like this episode. Uh, it has, I love the Hollywood uh, setting. I love Bob Hope. I love that the fact that they have a movie star playing a movie star uh the lines are great tony randall's on top of his game i of course personally as such a big fan of Ila lucy having all mm. the um connections a case you have made persuasive thank you um and it's just it feel you know it also I, this was filmed at the end of season four is that what you're saying earlier no no, no. this one was filmed at the beginning of in the fall of 74. Okay. It was the bowling that was I filmed see. at the end of uh I love the way they went and shot on location and yeah. they used and it feels authentic. So it you believe what's going on is going on. JB's office feels like yeah. real and the guest cast is very good. Uh so I give it I give it four and a half out of five. I think Five is just, I hold for something a little more iconic. You know, if I, 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 I could certainly see some, if you gave it a five, I wouldn't certainly disagree. And I, I struggled with the number four out of five Murray's, but I think I'm gonna go with four and a half out of five. Uh, but I do really, every time I watch this episode, I, I, I think I always forget how good it is until I watch it. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like I also, yeah, I find it, hard to get to five for some reason even though i really enjoy it and uh, it's hard to find any flaws and i think the tag is kind of lame but tag is not a lot, lot lots of ta- lots of their tags are lame. um something about maybe the felix is pushing this side of the, the 
starstruck side of his character maybe a little too much out of character but it is hilarious um i don't know but uh, i i have to go with my gut and say yes four and a half which is pretty damn good but uh maybe not if i had to list my absolute top five or something um but yeah this first of all what how packed full of action is this we go from you know the apartment and crazy Robert Zimmerman jokes, and we get rid of, then we're all this location shooting in LA. We have two scenes at the stadium in the locker room location. Um, we have lots of supporting players, including great appearances by Alan Arbus and Leonard Barr and the JB guys. Pretty good. Um, Felix Tony Randall just doing everything in his his toolkit. Uh, it seems uh, so maybe a little more from Oscar would have been nice. Like he's kind of more reactive in this than uh, driving it. It's, a, it's definitely a Felix episode. Um, something else I like, you know, I, it's funny you using the Lucy precedent. It remind, looking forward, it reminds me of something maybe an influence later, which is the Seinfeld LA yeah. episode when yeah. George and Jerry have a, there's a similar vibe where these two New Yorkers go to LA, they have the hotel room set up very similar. And uh, and in a way, it's Jerry's going for to do the Tonight Show, and George ends up almost ruining it by butting in. Uh, so I wonder if they're familiar with that. The but what I love about all three of these examples is you have examples of New York characters, right? Is Lu I love Lucy is set in New York? Yes, it is. Right? Okay. New York characters on a sitcom in the storyline, having an excuse to travel to Hollywood, which is of course where the sitcom is really shot. Right. And so when they go on location, this is where they've been all along, Yeah. but it's kind of fun to watch them playing around in LA, even though that's actually where they've been doing it. So, um, so they make the most out of it, definitely. Yeah, they, they, they definitely do. Uh, so if you have any feedback or comments or questions or, other information to share you can email us at 1049pod at gmail.com and of course uh we welcome uh some hopefully five-star reviews on itunes uh garrett i always wondered about your weird mitt and your talking bat okay